Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So she's not one thirty-second Native American. She's not even one five hundred and twelfth Native American. She's one one thousand twenty-fourth Native American. This is Elizabeth Warren, the senator from from Massachusetts, who has made claim of being Native American for financial and social, um, you know, opportunities. She she doesn't make the claim because she's proud of it. She made the claim in her college days so she could get financial and social reward out of it. She doesn't care about the plight of her people. No, she only cares about whether or not she can use it to her advantage. And she wants to run for president, so she's got to get this thing behind her. So she actually had a DNA test done. Elizabeth Warren had a DNA test done, and according to the DNA test, there is strong evidence. It is strong evidence that she had a Native American in her family tree dating back six to 10 generations. This is ridiculous. Isn't she embarrassed? She had a guy who, who actually knows what he's doing to be able to do uh, this work, but the latest is she's 1,024th Native American. I was talking to Whiskey Politics about this, Dave Sussman's podcast, if you don't know uh, the podcast. It's really good over at Ricochet. Uh, uh, whiskey politics. I said, you know what you call whiskey? That's one uh, one thousand twenty fourth whiskey. Water. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you don't call it whiskey. However, we feel here that maybe, maybe President Trump now has to pay up. Maybe. By the way, here I'm Tony Katz. Great to be with you, Tony Katz. Today, eight three three got Tony is the number. Eight three three four six eight eight six six nine. That's the number. I almost forgot my own number, 833-468-8669. I want to go back to the words of President Trump. This is like a month ago, right? Because he was talking about Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I'm going to say a month ago. Could have been more than a month ago. Wow, that would have been like, that's that's, that's the summer. Here, listen to this. And we will say, I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity, paid for by Trump, if you take the test and it shows you're an Indian, you know. And let's see what she does, right? I, I think I think he should write the check. I think he should write the check right now and say, you know what? She's one 1024th Native American. You know, so therefore, uh no, not I'm not not even not even like one one thousand twenty-fourth of a million dollars. No, 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 that'd be funny. I say he writes the whole check to Hurricane Michael Relief. Hurricane Michael Relief in the name of Elizabeth Warren from Donald Trump. While he's down in Florida today. He's down in Florida today uh, taking a look at what's gone on. And by the way, uh, can we talk about underreported stories? Panama City, Mexico Beach, the panhandle is gone. These houses, there is a story of a radio cluster. Powell Broadcasting. They have four radio stations. They might be smaller radio stations, but they're still four radio stations. 
in the area, they've got they've got an adult hit station, they've got a country station, they've got a classic rock station, and, and a top 40. The disaster is so bad. They were so damaged, their words, catastrophic damage. They said rebuilding doesn't make any sense. We're done operating in Panama City. They've already sold off one of the one of the uh of the stations. One of one of the dial numbers. I mean, what a it's not even worth rebuilding, which, by the way, is going to be started of the conversation. I don't think we're really prepared for uh, some of the demographic shift that's going to be coming. How do you get into the rebuilding? I haven't heard anything about what insurance companies are going to deal with or not deal with down there. I have not heard much about where the, the real pain is. But right now they're rebuilding in, in, in the Carolinas because of, because of Hurricane Florence. The problem is there, the storm, they're going to rebuild. I don't have that faith yet in these parts of the panhandle. But this is, this is prime beach. This is prime, prime stuff in terms of, of, of real estate. So the question is who? And now it becomes a question of affordability, which is really going to be a, a, a problem in and of itself. So I am staring at, at, at the aftermath of Hurricane Michael and – looking very askew because I don't know what the future is. Some of these uh, beach towns in the panhandle, they got by basically because of tourist industry. And, and of course, we in the Midwest know we're a lot of that. Listen, I, I, I grew up in, born in Brooklyn, grew up in Jersey. I lived in Tampa Bay. I lived in D.C. I lived in Los Angeles. Until I got to the Midwest, until I got to finally home sweet home in Indianapolis, no one ever talked about just heading to the panhandle. No one. But here, it happens all the time. It's, it's a fall break destination. It's a spring break destination. Because it's just, it's the easy part of Florida to get to and to get to, to a beach and a little bit of warmth. But some of those towns, they, they're not Miami. They're not Tampa. They're not, you know, uh, these big city places. So they hold on by a thread. I think something like Michael just ruins the opportunities. It ruins the opportunity for for any level of of rebirth because financially it's not worth it compared to what's going to come in on a, on a tourist trade. So, all eyes, all eyes are on Michael. But I'd be remiss if I didn't share with you Donald Trump on sixty Minutes, which is glorious, glorious, glorious. And if you want to know um, how this went, let me bring you Variety. Variety with the headline, 60 Minutes was outmatched by Trump. Guys, it, it is stunning. And you don't even have to, you don't have to be like somebody who, who does this for a living, right? We're, we are like, like more intense political observers than, than, than the layman, right? Because that's, that's kind of our interest. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit hobby for us. It's a, it's a passion project uh, uh, for us. Some of us blog, you know, and, and we want to be able to know what's going on and share these things. But even for the most passive, layman observer, everybody's got to get around the idea that the press is wholly biased, and every time they take on Trump about this idea of fake news or bias, they look like the fake news and bias they say doesn't exist. The interrupting from Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes in this interview 
is absolutely stunning. It's breathtaking in its madness. I'm only going to share with you one part of it. The thing I've really learned is I never knew how dishonest the media was. I, I, I really mean it. I'm not saying that as a soundbite. I never I, I can, knew how I'm, dishonest. I'm going to change the subject again. Well, no, but even the way you asked me a question, like about separation. Yeah. When I say Obama did it, you don't want to talk about no, it. No. When I say I did your, it, let's make a big deal. I'm going to run your answer, but you did it four times. I'm so. just telling you that you treated me much differently on the subject. I disagree, but I don't want to have that fight with you. Hey, All it's right, okay. We're going to have another fight with Leslie, you. Leslie, okay. it's okay. In the meantime, right. I'm president and you're not. <laughs> it's so incredible. And there are people out there who are going to be like, oh, that, that President Trump, he was so mean to Leslie Stahl. I don't know why they talked like that, but in my head, they, they talked like that. Uh, variety. Uh, I mean, quote variety. Yeah, 60 Minutes, of course, got outmatched. Everyone is going to get outmatched if they don't accept the basic premise. And the basic premise is, yes, network media, you are biased. Stop. You know, I have often um, been told that I'm not a good interviewer. I oh oh, this is how, and I don't I don't press hard enough in an interview. What I don't do is interrupt, and it comes from, you know, I don't I don't watch cable news. I mean, I catch clips because I I, I have to, but I don't have I don't have cable at home. I'm a cord cutter, right? Uh, you know, you need good internet for 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 business. You need good internet. Uh, for for your home, I don't I don't have cable. Maybe one day I I will, but I I don't know. And I think not watching cable news has been very helpful to me because I don't want other people's thoughts in my head. I want my own opinions uh, to be coming through, and I want to share them with you, and I want you to be able to share them with me and us us engage uh, in 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 that way. But if if you if they can't recognize. If they can't recognize their own levels of bias and be honest about their levels of bias and 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 say clearly that I'm going to do an interview that talks about the subject and I'm going to press, but I'm going to press properly. This is where I get told I don't do good interviews. I'm told I don't press enough. Cable news is the constant interruption game, 24-7, 365. Leslie Stahl is just more proof of this. And wait till you hear overheard coming up. I don't want to be that guy. I take a look at the cable news guys. I'm like, all right, I'd, I'd like the money. <laughs> but, but I am not that guy. I don't want to do that. I want to hear the answer. And then I can discuss the answer. So I very rarely interrupt. There have been times where I have. But I very rarely interrupt. I, I, I want to hear what gets said. It's, it's important. And I think, that's, I think that's the better way to do it. But these guys are going to keep interrupting and keep being this way until they realize that they are the problem they claim doesn't exist. Trump wins again. That might as well be the variety headline. Trump wins again because he did. And he did huge. I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz, 833-GOT-TONY. That is the number, 833-468-8669.
Over the weekend, I had a chance to interview the vice president, Mike Pence. He was in town uh, campaigning for uh, Republican uh, Senate candidate in Indiana, Mike Braun. Uh, he was in my beloved city, and uh, we got together, as we have been known to do, and uh, spoke on the record about uh, the race, uh, Senate race here in Indiana. We talked about the Kavanaugh confirmation, and we talked about Jamal Khashoggi, who is the Washington Post contributor in Turkey, disappearance. Uh, they believe he was uh, slaughtered. He was actually dismembered and taken out of the Saudi uh, embassy. A couple of things within uh, what we've learned uh, since and since I did this, this interview. First, uh, I, I was unfamiliar with, with Khashoggi, uh, you know, to, to a level of, of uh, understanding. I, I, the only person I ever known is Adnan Khashoggi, the arms dealer. Well, this guy's a relation to the Khashoggi family. I didn't know that. Uh, secondly, not a journalist or a reporter, as we would say it, but yes, a contributor to the Washington Post, also in the U.S., but not a U.S. citizen of any type uh, that I've been able to determine. Also uh, with ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, that does not mean that Saudi Arabia gets to quite literally dismember somebody and take them out in suitcases. It does, however, add a couple of specific wrinkles and to create a much larger conversation about what the United States might do as response. And you'll, you'll hear some of that from, from the vice president. Uh, what this has to do with relations regarding Turkey and hegemony in the Middle East uh, in, in relationship to Iran that the, the vice president does mention to his, his very, very good credit. And to where the United States should be on this subject, because it could be this has really nothing to do with us. However, there is going to have to be U.S. response. But the more I look into it, the less I believe that response is going to mean putting an end to the arms deal, which is about $113 billion. I think the president has it right there. If we're not going to sell them the arms, Russia or China is. There, there may be some serious consequences to an action like this. They've referred to it as severe consequences. But maybe not going forward with an arms deal isn't the answer. $112 billion, and you're talking about American jobs at stake, when you know they're just going to create a deal with somebody else who doesn't care at all. This is the hard part when you're dealing with uh, the, the real world. This is the This is the part that I think drives people crazy when we talk about entanglements with other nations. It's not that I don't think Saudi Arabia doesn't need the backside of a hand every now and again. I don't think we were in any way strong enough post-September 11th. But if we're going to now just do this as a pylon conversation, I don't think that helps. We have to deal with what we've got. Khashoggi is not all the things that people like the Washington Post and others wanted us to believe from day one. That said... I do believe there's going to be some type of response. You're cutting people up in embassies, not even on your soil. Don't even tell me that the embassy is your soil. Don't. You might, you might not be so surprised that you get an actual response from that that isn't uh, all, all love and spoonful. Maybe a little bit more of, hey, guys, uh, we got a problem here. Overheard. 
Hey, everybody, I'm so Ari. you've been president. Oh, just hold on a second. I'm Ari Castle filling in. Is for, there just, anything? Wait one second. I'm Ari Castle filling in for Brian Baker on over. You, uh, hold you on. Said- everybody stop. Everybody stop, okay? My name is Ari Castle. I'm filling in for Brian Baker on Overheard. Okay, continue. Any regrets? So President Trump had an interview. You... President Trump had an interview last night with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes. So you've been president. On 60 Minutes. It was a pretty compelling interview, but. Putin. It was a compelling interview, but Leslie Stahl just, I don't kept, understand. just kept interrupting every 30 seconds. You know what? Forget it. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. Leslie Stahl, you want to keep interrupting? This is what Overheard is going to be. Highlights of Leslie Stahl interrupting President Trump during his 60 Minutes interview. Here we go. What we just had with Michael. Who says that? I can't bring the Scientifically, that in its first two years. History. What about North Korea? We say so far. President Obama. We were going to war. We were can't be proven wrong. Why would you trust it? 60 minutes, well, wonderful Remember show. what Reagan said. Sites. But is what I said up. true? That and nobody what, that really still knows. building missiles? More missiles? I you suspect let's that? Say, baby. I know, I know but saying. why do you love that guy? But you and said I love say, him. Be whatever yeah, it is to he's get He's a bad guy. Percent. But yeah. they've retaliated. Well, that's what I'm asking. That. No, I don't want that. But you're and in a trade war right now. It's not hostile. It sounds hostile. We're not hostile. No, but can't you deal we've with been, it? We've been, we've been, can tell you. I'm going to try one more time. Okay. You I know, know, unless you don't have to try it again. I know exactly well, what you're saying. Well, answer my question. The, to the press well, I mean publicly. You never say anything harsh Excuse me. As this no, I mean him personally. I mean, I don't. Probably. Probably. It's not in our country. Okay, why, why not? They shouldn't do it. This is a terrible thing. Of course Instead, they shouldn't do it. You okay, that's believe, your do you believe... Too. But and why I think do you say China metal And you want to know something Why else? do you say China? Why don't you but just say the you. Russians? And I think, frankly, China this is, is amazing. a bigger problem. You're t- r- diverting the whole Russian I'm thing. I'm not doing you anything. Are, I'm are. saying Russia. <sighs> now, if you're thinking to yourself, wow, that was a lot of interruptions. Guess what? That was only the first 10 minutes of the interview. Listen, I just, uh, that's all I got for today. I'm sorry. We'll Shut up! I'm Ari Castle. Billion for Brian Baker and Overheard. Stop interrupting. All right, Castle, thank you. Tony Katz, so good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That is uh, the number. Listen, um, I have the the classic question asked of anybody who uh, works for a living is, uh, if, if you won the lottery, would, would you come back to work? I've asked myself this question many times. Many, many times. I just crazy love what I do. The Powerball is at $345 million. $345 million. That's a pretty good chunk of change. But the what's the other one? The Mega Millions? Is that it? The there's the Powerball and there's there's the, the Mega Millions. That one is at $654 million. $654 million. So the question is, you win $654 million, and let's say you take the all-cash deal, because you have to take the all-cash deal. I, I, there are some people like, no, no, let them pay it out to you. You end up with more money. Like, I believe they're still going to have the money at the end. Don't be, don't, don't be silly. I'll take it. So let's say you end up after tag. Let's, let's call it $200 million. I'm, I'm coming up with a number. I think, I'm, I think I'm a little low, but $200 million. $200 million. There are no taxes to pay. That's what you have. If $200 million threw you out, only 5%. You know what? Take that back. 1%. That'd be $2 million a year. 
See how I did the math there? All right, 200 million. Let's say it was 10%, be 20 million. And then I just worked my way back to the 1%, and so 1% is $2 million. If it just threw you out 1%, it's $2 million a year. The question is, do you go back to work? I find myself conflicted because I enjoy this. I love what I do. However, $200 million is kind of fun. I can do anything. $200 million. There are no rules. I don't have to wear pants again. It's amazing. It's amazing and fantastic. So on Twitter, at Tony Katz, do you go back to work? Or does it depend on the work? And do you think I'm crazy? Like, if I won and I had $200 million, would you find it crazy if I was if I was back here in this chair on Monday? Would you find that weird? Would you find it weird if I was on this chair and not wearing pants? Right? Or do I even do I just have a home studio? I just do it from there. I just have the microphones brought to the bed. It's a lot of money. It is a chum- I, I, the level of life changing. Like, what does it do to you? And then everyone comes out of the woodwork, right? Everyone comes out of the woodwork and and is like talking about their charity and why you need to donate. Here would be my rule: if you ask me to donate, the answer is no. If you tell me about your charity, the answer is no. I know who I want to give to. I don't, I don't want to be I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be bothered at all. Joe Biden spoke in Indiana. He was at an event for the Democratic Senator Joe Donnelly. And he engaged a conversation that basically said Republicans are anti-Semites. As the spokesman for the Jews that I am. I know everyone's got to do something. By the way, if I won 200 million dollars uh, after taxes, I would still keep my my title as spokesman of the Jews. It wouldn't be even be uh, emeritus. No, no, no. I, I keep the position. It's that important. We're going to get into what Biden said. The audio is a little tough. The message he's trying to send is loud and clear. And I wonder why Joe Donnelly allowed it to happen. I'm Tony Katz. So Joseph Biden was the vice president of the United States at one time. It's a true story. I have pictures. That's how I know it happened. I not only have pictures, um, I have great, fantastic uh, gaffes from Joe Biden. Like, well, this. And fire two I love that someone auto-tuned him. It's so it's so absolutely fantastic. Joe Biden, BFD, Joe Biden. A guy who has never loved anything as much as the sound of his own voice, Joseph Biden, came to Indiana and talked a whole bunch of smack about the Republican Party and anti-Semitism. Let's break a little bit of this down. I'm Tony Katz. So good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY is the number. 833-468-8669. Now, 
Unfortunately, this so it was a an event with with Senator Joe Donnelly for his reelection here in Indiana. Big Senate race, uh, Joe Donnelly and the Republican challenger Mike Braun. There's a Libertarian, Lucy Brenton, in the race as well. Uh, but the the top two right now are the Republican and the Democrat, and basically statistical tie, dead heat. Depending on the, uh, the polls that you look at, dead heat. And Biden is up there to uh, campaign. Now, again, the audio, it's, it sounds like a little hollow, right? Because it's in a, in a stadium. But I want you to, to listen to this. We're going to, the idea that Joe Biden could say this and Joe Donnelly had nothing to say doesn't come out and say, you know what? Joe Biden was a little too extreme today. Is disturbing. I'll tell you why. Listen. I'm being literal. Coming out, carrying torches and swastikas. Singing the same, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile, the same exact bile that was chanted in the streets of Nuremberg and Berlin and throughout Germany, accompanied by white supremacists, and then have people objecting to it, and the president and the alt-right and a lot of the Republicans saying the good people in both parties. But think what that says about us, guys. No president has ever, 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 ever since the Civil War done anything like that. Now, I've got more of this to get into, and I will. But I want to start with a basic. The concept that is trying to be pushed by the Democratic Party, that the Republicans are all anti-Semites, all racists, is so filthy and so gross that the only answer is to ensure they don't have power. When they make this claim, the response is, well, these people don't get any power. They can't be allowed any power. You cannot allow them to be in charge of anything because they haven't earned it. Because they don't deserve it. There have been people who are absolutely anti-Semites who have run for office on the Republican ticket. And this year, uh, it, it, it happened a couple times. You had a guy who was trying to run uh, for the seat that is uh, Paul Ryan's. His name is Paul Nealon. Paul Nealon is an anti-Semite. Proud anti-Semite, no question about it. When it was really understood what he was all about, it ended. The whole thing ended for him. There is a guy named Arthur Jones. Arthur Jones is a, is he calls himself a Nazi. He got the Republican nomination in Illinois. He's against the Democratic representative, Dan Lipinski. You know what the Republicans said? Don't vote for him. Now, maybe there were, they could have done some things to keep him off of the, of the uh, ballot. If you go to Politico.com, you know, they, they botched four opportunities. I'm not sure what those four opportunities are. What I do know is they said, do not, do not, do not vote for him. These things have happened. It is absolutely true. But the idea that the party hasn't immediately said, that's not us. We're not interested in that. 
go away is beyond ridiculous. It is pathetic and embarrassing. And those people who push it, like Joe Biden, those are shameful, shameful people. If we want to discuss things that are truthful, I'm okay with that. Are there some anti-Semites who have decided to run for office on the Republican ticket? Absolutely. When you get into places of the alt-right, if you will, or the fringes of the right, will you find anti-Semitism? I believe you will. Are there people who identify as Republicans who are anti-Semites? I have no reason to doubt that whatsoever. Is it endorsed by the party? Stop talking. You sound like a crazy person. And anybody who would allow that to simply just walk on by them is really suspect. And I would argue, in the case of Joe Donnelly, and quote me, it's fine, desperate for victory. Desperate, desperate, desperate to win. Joe Biden's commentary shows desperation and a lack of decency and understanding. Now, by the way, he's not the first person to go down this road. I have seen religious leaders try and push the same exact line of thought. As the spokesman for all the Jews, allow me to tell you that no one is allowed to push this line of thought without pushback from me. The idea that the Republicans, and you all, you understand I'm a conservative, I'm not a Republican, I don't actually belong to the party. I'm not a card-carrying member, I've never paid dues. Wait, I've never paid dues, right? I, I may have gone to a dinner where I wrote a check, but I've never paid, a, I've never paid actual dues. Never once, never ever. Has never happened. And and that's okay. But the idea that you would say that these people, because of a a political party, oh, yes, oh, Republicans, anti-Semites, pathetic, embarrassing, sad. Now, the Democratic Party, well, it gets a little different here. Here they are, the DNC voting on their platform in 2012. The matter requires a two-thirds vote in the affirmative. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the... Well, the opinion of the chair is going to have to wait a second. That was Antonio Villaraigosa, the former mayor of Los Angeles. And what is the platform that they're voting on? They're voting on Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. That is part of the platform that they are voting on. And he, right there, was acting as the chair. He was acting as the guy in charge at the moment. That was his job, to have all those assembled engage in some of these votes, mostly symbolic about the platform. And when asked, is Jerusalem the capital of Israel? The answer was not clear. You want to do it again there, Mr. Mr. Mayor? Let me do that again. All of those delegates... In favor, say aye. All those delegates opposed, say no. He looks stunned. There is somebody on stage with him, I think from the Rules Committee, and actually says, well, that's the way they vote? That's the way they vote. So the Democrats did what Democrats do. 
guess. You've got a rule, and then you've got to let them do what they're going to do. Rules I'll do that one more time. All those delegates in favor say aye. All those delegates opposed say no. In the opinion of the chair, two-thirds have voted in the affirmative. The motion is adopted, and the platform has been amended as shown on the screen. That's how they handled it. Yes, everybody assembled, or at least half of those assembled, don't believe Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, don't think that Jerusalem should be mentioned in the platform, but somehow the Republicans are, are the anti-Semites. Now, I happen to have uh, Ronna McDaniel on today. Uh, she is the chairwoman of the GOP, and I asked her about this question. I want to make sure I've got it in the, in the right place here. Let me see if I do. And, and that you are the chairwoman of the GOP only means you hate yourself, if you would like to take a moment to explain why. <laughs> now, that was about women. Hold on. Well, I think let's look at the results of this administration. I well, no, I've got it. I know I do. I haven't heard the audio, but Here, I will tell this, you. This is it. I asked her, hey, Joe Biden uh, has this this audio uh, from his appearance with Joe Donnelly. What do, you, what do you think of it? And here's how she answered. Ready? I haven't heard the audio, but I will tell you uh, the Republican Party rebukes any anti-Semitism. In fact, after the events in Charlottesville, Charlottesville we passed a resolution unanimously condemning the anti-Semitic uh, activity that took place in Charlottesville, uh, anything de dealing with the Klan or anti-Semitism is not welcome in our party. We rebuke it. We are very vocal about that. Uh, obviously, the president moved the embassy to Israel. Uh, you know, th these are things that he he's proud of. But you haven't seen that from the Democrats. When you hear Tom Perez say Ocasio-Cortez is the shining star or the rising star in their party, Listen to her talk about Israel. So uh, it's very frightening where the Democrats are going, but they like division and they focus on division and they want people to look at Republicans as if we're hateful. We are not. Uh, we are a party of inclusion. We are the party uh, that stopped slavery under Lincoln. And these are things that we're delivering on now as we have uh, the White House and the Senate and the House, the lowest unemployment in history for um unemployment number in history for African-Americans and for Hispanics. I mean, these are things that we're delivering with our policies. We're making lives better for every American. So there it is from the chairman, chairwoman of the GOP. There it is in the Democrats' own words. If anybody's going to keep pushing this idea that the Republican Party is the party of anti-Semites, I'm going to be the one who pushes back, and I push hard. I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz, so good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY-833-468-8669. My interview with Vice President Mike Pence, uh, that's coming up at the top of uh, the, the next hour. You are going to want to stick around for that if you have not already uh, heard it. I want to go to to uh, back to the President Trump 60 Minutes. I don't know if you heard the whole thing with Leslie Stahl. It was, it was a bit... Uh, a bit surreal, but one of the questions that came up was about the Mueller investigation, 
And the president was clear he's not shutting anything down. Will you pledge, pledge, that you will not shut down the Mueller investigation? Well, I, I don't pledge anything, but I will tell you, I have no intention of doing that. I think it's a very unfair investigation because there was no collusion of any kind. But you won't there is pledge? No collusion. I don't want to pledge. Why should I pledge to you? If I pledge, I'll pledge. I don't have to pledge to you. Leslie Stahl is ridiculous. Leslie Stahl is ridiculous uh, doing this interview. And here's here's where the true ridiculous comes into play. Now, you will note that I have indeed talked about this before. She's asking a question about his relationship with Kim Jong-un. I'll explain in a minute. Do you trust missiles? him? Trust I do trust him, yeah. I trust him. That doesn't mean I can't be proven wrong. Why would you trust him? Well, first of all, if I didn't trust him, I wouldn't say that to you. Wouldn't I be foolish to tell you right here on 60 Minutes? And then we fell in love, okay? No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters. And they're great letters. We fell in love. I want to read you his resume, okay? He presides over a cruel kingdom of repression gulags, starvation, uh, reports that he had his half-brother assassinated, slave labor, public executions. This is a guy sure, you love. I know love. all these things. I mean, I'm not a baby. I know, I know all these but things. why do you love that guy? Look, look. Hmm. I, have, I, I, like, I get along with him, okay? But you and said I say, love him. Okay, that's, that's just like a figure of speech. No, it's like an embrace. You, you, well, let uh, it be an embrace. Let it be whatever yeah, it is to get the job He's a bad done. guy. Look, let it be whatever it is. I get along with him really well. I have a good energy with him. I have a good chemistry with him. Look at the horrible threats that were made. No more threats. No more threats. Now listen, you have heard me say on more than one occasion, I hate it when President Trump says he loves him. But I hate it because it's an unforced error that is unnecessary and gives people like Leslie Stahl something to go crazy about. And I just don't like giving these people any ammunition. But is Leslie Stahl, does she lead such a a cloistered, sheltered life that she doesn't understand what it is that President Trump's doing? Has she not figured out his style yet? Did she ever say about somebody... Yeah, she's kind of iffy about, oh, I love that guy. Oh, oh, I love their work. She doesn't love their work, but it was a thing to say. This is Trump's affectation. The fact that it personally drives me crazy is secondary to the primary that I understand what it is that he's doing. All of a sudden, Leslie Stahl thinks love means love. He's leaving Melania for for Kim Jong-un all of a sudden. I don't know who's going to be the inside spoon. Is she really that much of a child? Is she really that lost? It's pathetic. It is absolutely pathetic. What it is uh, that we're, we're 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 witnessing here, and that was just some some of it. That was just you know I there's so much more. I haven't even gotten into into uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'll try and get to that in the next hour. But here, wait before we go, before we go, we're like we're going anywhere. We got so much to get to. My, did you hear Stacey Abrams? Stacey Abrams 
is running for uh, governor in Georgia. And she's a big believer in the blue wave for everybody, whether they're here legally or not. The thing of it is, the blue wave is African-American. It's white, it's Latino, it's Asian Pacific Islander. It is made up of those who've been told that they are not worthy of being here. It is comprised of those who are documented and undocumented. So, as far as uh, the Democrat socialist candidate for governor of Georgia is concerned, elections aren't just for citizens. They're for, you know, they're for, they're for anybody who, who feels like stopping by the polling place and pulling a lever, as, as long as they're a part of that blue wave. But no, 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 no. The whole purpose of, uh, you know, wanting open borders isn't to win elections. No. No, not at all. My interview with the vice president coming up next. I'm Tony Katz.